Um, well, welcome. Uh, this morning, I'm, I'm happy to be worshiping with you guys this morning. We're starting a new series uh, this morning, and I'm really excited about it. Um, what we're doing, we're calling the series, um, oh, uh, Bruce, if you could hop, pop that up for me when you get a chance. Um, we're calling the series, Hallowed Be Your Name. And the idea of that is it comes from the Lord's Prayer. As Jesus is teaching his people how to pray, um, he, we start by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the idea of that is it's saying, God, your name be uh, holy, like treated as holy, regarded as holy. It's this, this expression really of worship, of like a relationship to God where God is exalted. And what we're doing, we've been going through a lot of things. We went through Ecclesiastes before Christmas, um, and that was um, such a cool journey to go on, to explore uh, life and, and the problems of life and all these kinds of things. I wanted to start the new year by taking time to sit in a series where we're thinking about God in more basic terms, like, like some fundamental theological concepts, some truths about God that we can look at and go through um, and kind of travel like week by week and some of these more basic things. So now there's some of you that are part of our church family that like you don't have a ton of church experience. This is perfect for you because we're going to try to explain some of the things and we just go through and we, we, we use terminology and we talk about passages and there's not a whole lot of context always. This is a great chance to kind of go back to some of the basics. Um, others of you, there's several people in our church that are seminary trained and so you've got like master's degrees in this stuff. Um, for all of us, wherever you're at on that spectrum, it's so good for us to step back and think through um, who is God really? Who is God the Father? Who is God the Son? Who is God the Holy Spirit? Um, processing these things. And so that's what we're going to do over the next um, few months. And as we get rolling, um, I don't know if that sounds exciting to talk through um, theology or if it sounds intimidating, but I want to start by finding out real quick, um, how many of you guys are familiar, like how many of you use uh, from time to time an abacetary? Anybody in here use an abacetary? Okay, so, um, so in abacetary, as I found out in my first day in my Hebrew class uh, when I was in seminary, is uh, in abacetary, uh, the professor threw it out, and some bold student was willing to say, like, I professor, you keep using that word, like, I don't know what that means. And he's like, oh, it's an alphabet. It's an alphabet. But they, they so think of A, B, C, D, abacetary, right? It's just a pretentious way of referring to the alphabet, right? So I feel like uh, this is how theology works. It's, it's these simple concepts. We all use the alphabet every day. We don't think about the alphabet. We don't use the word alphabet, and we certainly don't think of a really pretentious thing to call it, like an abacetary and try to make yourself seem snooty by talking about the ABCs. But there's this propensity that we have to like talk about theology, and suddenly we get very stuffy and dignified, and we get really pretentious, and we start like making other people feel like they don't know about it. And, and the, the reality of what we want to do with this series is we're just saying, Let's talk about God, but let's do it with reverence. Let's go back to the basics. Let's think more deeply. We're always thinking about life and about God, um, but let's do it with some intentionality to try to build um, a greater sense of like, what, what are we really even doing here? As we gather and we open the word of God together and we sing songs about God, who are we really talking to? What does it really mean? Why does it even matter? All of those things are such important questions. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll talk through um, the members of the Trinity. We'll talk about um, the cross, uh, just as Ron led us through. We'll talk about the church and how that's designed to be. We'll talk about attributes of who God is. But before we do any of that, um, I want to start this morning by talking about worship. Because worship is, um, 
the correct posture for talking about God. I, I'm like so, so convinced of that. There's, we could talk about God. We could explain God. We could, um, we could fill our heads with all these correct thoughts about God. But if our heart's posture is not a posture of worship towards God, then we are missing it from the very start. We're heading off in a trajectory that totally misses the whole thing. So in order to do that, uh, I want you to open with me to the book of Job, if you have your Bible. Otherwise, I'll put the verses on the screen. I feel like my goal lately has been um, through the, the um, Christmas series and even still now is to like really keep you on your toes where you have no idea what book of the Bible we're opening up to when we step in here now. So Job, did anyone guess Job this morning? I doubt it. Um, but here we are. Job is this really crazy story in the Old Testament where Job is this, this godly man and somehow uh, Satan and God are in a conversation, and Satan comes to God, and he's like, God's saying, like, hey, how cool is Job? Like, he really loves me, and he's a righteous man, and Satan's like, shoot, he only loves you because you give him everything, and you've really blessed him, and God says, no, you could take away everything from Job, and he would still worship me, and um, beautifully, theologically beautifully, God's proven right. Satan could, in fact, take away everything from Job, and God, Job would still worship God. That is how the book ends, so it has a happy ending. The tragedy is that this poor man had to live through this entire thing of losing his family, losing his home, lose, losing his livelihood, all of it he lost. And he starts the book of Job sitting just like in this mess, like sitting in the like collapse of everything that he's ever loved and known, and he's just sitting there in pain. His friends come, and they're going to sort it out with him. So first they sit with him, which is beautiful, and then they start explaining things to Job. Job, here's Here's, here's what you're like, and here's what you probably did wrong to, to deserve this. Here's, Job, here's how God works. That's why these things happen, because God is this way, and he works that way. And his friends just begin to explain kindly to Job, here's everything you know, need to know about God, right? And as you can imagine, it doesn't help, right? It doesn't help. Finally, <coughs> Job begins to respond back. So around chapter 26, Job finally finds his own voice, and he begins to speak out of his pain, right? He's He's hurt, and it's, it's easy to be kind of um, judgy about how Job responds, but just remember, the guy lost his family, he lost everything, and he's in this just heartbreaking situation, and he begins to speak, and as he does, what we can see, the reason I'm taking us through some parts of Job here is he begins to speak about God and about his life and about what he's experiencing, and he does so at first by developing these postures that are wrong. They're all the same ways that we talk about God, but they're postures that get us off on the wrong foot. And I've labeled them for you, so we're going to be in good shape here. But I'm going to start in Job 27, verse 11. Job's been saying a lot of stuff, but here he takes the posture of a professor. He's going to explain what happens. So he says, I will teach you concerning the hand of God. What is with the Almighty, I will not conceal. So super cool of Job to just say, hey, look, I'll tell you all about God. I'm not going to hide anything from you about this is who God is. And Job begins to explain. Now, Job's in pain. I get it. Job's hurting. He's processing. Life is what it is. I think this is where Job begins to get himself into trouble. When he starts speaking and saying, let me respond to my pain and suffering by explaining the situation and what happens. I think he gets himself into trouble. I, I feel like that's the case because I feel how often I do this myself. Um, life is rough for one of you, for someone in my family, for me, myself. And it's just so easy to get into that mode of like, well, here's what's really going on, you know? And we, we try to explain it. We try to explain God. And we have this, um, I would say, unwarranted certainty about who God is, about how life works, about why things are happening the way they are. And we take the 
professor um, posture of just, let me just explain the whole thing to you. That will make everything better. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't help. Um, and it's not the right posture. A little bit later, Job continues on. He's explaining all this stuff. Um, by the time we get to chapter 30, he's taking on the role of the defendant. Okay, And he says, God has cast me into the mire. I've become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. Here's Job now, and again, this is very understandable, right? But he's taking the, 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 the spot of the victim. Like, he's, he's the defendant, like, making his case against God. Like, God, you're, like, powerful, and you're great, and you're using all of that to just make my life difficult. God, what is going on here? So, Again, understandable, I, I think, given the circumstances, but this is not like the right posture to have when we talk about God, is pointing at him and saying, God, you are doing something wrong. I am being mistreated here. That's not how this whole thing works. But it's common, right? It's common. Often we're just in a spot, and maybe we are um, pious enough to not say it out loud, but we feel deep down like, God, this isn't, this isn't cool. Like I, like, I follow you. I love you. I tell people about you. I read my Bible. I go to church. And yet these things are still happening to me. God, how could you do this? It feels right to, to, to feel that, to say that. It's human. It's normal. But it's not the right posture. Third posture is related that Job takes a little bit later, chapter 31. And here he says, he says, oh, I owe that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give it to him an account of all my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. He, he's basically saying, like, if God would just tell me what's wrong, then I could, like, defend myself here. But, like, there's not even anyone there to argue with, okay? It's like he's in a store asking for the manager, you know, like, I need to make this right. And so I've titled this position uh, The Karen. Um, and, uh, and I just, this is a whole cultural thing. I just want to, disclaimer, we have many lovely Karens in our church, and we have none of the bad types. So, um, so if, you, if your name is Karen, I love you so much, and this is not you whatsoever. But um, the, the idea of a Karen in our culture is like someone that lives a really privileged life, but kind of plays the victim in a lot of situations, complains, that kind of a thing. I think that uh, Job gets into some of that here. If I could just talk to the manager, if I could just, like, just tell me, God, what I did wrong, and I'll fix it, like he kind of takes... That posture, and I would just say, with all this, the problem with each of these like postures that he takes, um, the problem is is not okay. In each of these cases, Job says things that are true. He sometimes says things that are helpful. Sometimes he says things that are wrong. But the problem that with Job and his counselors coming in is their posture before God is off. So think about posture for a second. Your posture is sort of like your default approach to the world. Okay, so I've got. My posture that I've been, like, working diligently to, to develop since I was a kid. And my posture says what? Like, says everything's fine, right? It says, like, I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm fine, everything's going to work out fine, right? If you're in the military, military people, the posture is, like, someone's about to either inspect me or attack me, right? So I'm, like, ready and I'm alert, okay? Um, but me, I'm just like, hey, everything's fine. Like, come talk. We're, we're good. Um, people are, like, surprised at how tall I am because I, like, slouch so much. So when I stand up straight, it's like, oh. As tall as Steph Curry, which uh, is tall in the real world, okay, but not on the NBA court. Um, if you have a posture of like a basketball player, okay, you're like down and you're ready, right? Because someone, you're either going to have to defend something or you're going to go score something. So your posture is like, this is how I'm approaching this situation or whatever. And so we have a posture, I think, a default posture towards God. All of us do. And that posture might be apathy where you're just kind of like, don't really think too much or care too much about what God says or thinks or how I am related to him. 
Um, you might have a posture of skepticism towards him, of anger, of love. Like, all these are different postures. You might have the posture of, like, a scheming teenager that kind of needs to appease the parents but still wants to, like, live the way they want to live. Like, there's all these ways that we can default our approach to God. And I'm just going to say, like, professor where we explain God, defendant where we defend ourselves against God, like all these different things we could take, the right one, the appropriate posture. Before we talk about God week after week in the next few months, I want us to get in mind, our posture, the right posture is a posture of worship, a posture where we see God for who he truly is. We see ourselves in a right relationship with him and we are declaring his value. We're declaring his worth. We're saying, okay, God, before I say a word about you, before I uh, discuss and, and postulate and all these things about you, I just want to make sure that I am here worshiping you for who you are. So to look into this, this call to worship that God gives Job, Job begins to say, say, says all these things. God allows him to say his peace, just like he let his friend say his peace. And then God begins to answer back to Job. And I think the answer that God gives to Job is, um, is basically saying, re-posture yourself, Job. Like, let's, let's start over and let's get ourselves in the right posture. So this starts in chapter 38. So if you have your Bible, turn there. It's worth turning there. Um, because Job, like God begins speaking to Job. So he says, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Okay, so somehow in this... They've been talking or whatever, and then somehow there's like a whirlwind. There's like a storm that brews, okay? And you can just picture and imagine like this storm, and there's somehow there's this voice coming out of the whirlwind speaking to Job, okay? And I'm just going to say that's like dramatic. That's intense. So everything that God is going to say here, the words themselves are intense, but the setting heightens the whole thing. This is an intense situation. It's going to make Job think twice about uh, explaining God or accusing God of something. God's first question in verse 2, who is this that darkens counsels by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. So he's saying, who is this that darkens counsel? Like, who, like, who are you, Job? Like, who do you think you are to come into my presence and to say the things that you're saying about me? Now, again, I step back, and in my humanity, I'm like, man, it makes sense. Job's, like, hurting, and, and like, God's big enough to take it, but God's taking this opportunity to not so gently let Job know, like, I know you're suffering. I know you're hurting. Like, there's more here than you're aware of. But, like, let's take a step back and let me ask you, who do you think that you are to approach me like this? You, it's like God saying, hey, guy, you've misunderstood the relationship here. Like, I am not who you thought I was by your words. Have you ever been out in the, the lobby? This happens to me sometimes. And a little kid just comes up and grabs your leg. Like, every blue jean uh, dad leg looks the same, you know. And the kid grabs on, and they look up, and like, oh, my goodness. Like, they didn't realize, that's not my dad, right? I feel like there's a moment like that here where Job has been speaking to God, and then he's like, oh, boy, I didn't know who I was talking to. Like, I, I wasn't aware of my actions. And so God tells him, like, who are you? And he tells him in verse 3, dress for action like a man. So, Dress for action, the, the phrase is gird up your loins. Like they'd wear those robes. And so if you were going to do work or if you're going to travel or if you're going to like compete or something, you'd have to like tie that nonsense up so that you are ready to like get down to work. And so God's saying, all right, Job, it's time to roll up our sleeves here because we have some work to do. You're going to have to process this with me. Prepare yourself. Reposture yourself. This isn't going to be a casual conversation. You need to get down into the form of a worship here, here and look at me differently. And so the, the question that I think he's ultimately asking, God's going to ask Job and he's going he's to lay it all out for him, is 
Job, what are, what are we doing here? Like, what do you think this is? What are you doing here? And, and I want to extend that because it's a question I ask myself a lot about this. Like a gathering like this, a church gathering. The oldest thing, like pretty much forever, is, is people gathering to worship God. And, and the question I have all the time is, what are we doing here, right? Like, what, like what's the point of this? And we can get into such a uh, religious rut as we come back again and again and we sing songs over and over again. We listen to sermons again and again. We read the Bible again and again. And we get ourselves in this place where we're numb to the thought of what actually is it that we are doing here? Who am I to come before God? Who am I to gather with these people and speak to God? There's this reminder in here of what we're doing here matters, but we have to think about it. And so God's going to just lay this out for Job. So he reminds him in verse 4, Job, you're not a professor. You're not going to be able to explain me that well. He says in verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. So he's just, he, he, and he goes on again, again, and again. And you, you'll see it if you read chapters 38 and 39, which I highly recommend doing when you get home. Um, thing after thing after thing where God is saying, Job, you cannot possibly explain me because look at who I am and what I've created. I'm just going to walk you through real quick a few of these, um, these sections here. So starting in verse 4, he's basically saying to Job, Job, you have no idea how the earth was created. If you jump down to verse 8, he's talking about how basically, Job, you have no idea how the oceans were formed or how they function. Um, if you jump down still further to verse 12, he's saying, Job, you have no control over the rising of the sun. Verse 16, Job, you have no idea how deep the ocean or the sea is or how vast the earth itself is. Down in verse 19, Job, you have no idea how light and darkness work. Verse 22, Job, you know nothing about the origins of the weather or how it works. He goes on and on and on through chapter 38, 39, and he lists out all of these things that Job has no idea about. Now, if you're like me, you read this and you're like, okay, yes, Job had no idea about these things. But there's this modernist arrogance about me that's like, you know, Job didn't know how weather works, but like, I kind of do, you know? Like, like we know about evaporation, and we know about clouds, and we know about, like, weather systems, and we know about storm fronts and high-low pressure systems. And so all of these things that God's like, Job, you can't talk to me because you know nothing about how the world works. It's kind of like, well, thanks to modern science, we actually kind of know how the world works. So, like, maybe, maybe we're good now. Um, if God could rewrite these chapters for the modern person— I suspect that he would say it exactly the same as he said it. I, I really do. Or he could throw in all the scientific terminology he wants and still make the same point because here's the thing. Yes, we have spent like centuries looking at the world that God made, looking at how all these things work, looking under microscopes and through telescopes, and we can see it all way more clearly and we see a lot of more causes and effects. But the same thing stands. Like, yeah, where was I when the world was being made, right? Like, I, I don't understand how deep the ocean is or how wide the earth is, or I, I don't understand how, like, all of these things are still true. Th- think of it like this. If you had, um, if you had a, a Edison, Thomas Edison light bulb, okay, you could look at that thing and you could, you could reverse engineer it. I, I'm saying that maybe generously for some of us, but someone in this room could reverse engineer that thing, right? You look at it, you're like, okay, you, you run the electric current through there, it makes the, uh, the little filament th- deal get hot, and that glows, and that puts off the light. And so somebody could take that light bulb and recreate it. Now, if you are capable of doing that, does that make you as smart as Thomas Edison? There's no way, right? There's no way, because you, you sit there, and you look at it, and you're like, 
my gosh, this guy was a genius, right? It's so simple, but it's so complex. What a genius this man is. Being able to reverse engineer something or be able to explain it does not mean that your mind is equal to that person. It doesn't mean that you could have created it. And I think that's a small case a thing with a light bulb, right? Uh, amplify it times the size of the universe and just think like, how, how dare we think that we understand God? Now, all of this, I think, that since I brought up this whole science thing, um, as I read through these chapters, I feel like um, there's, a, there's a generation of um, Christians that kind of got suspicious of science. And, um, and like, okay, well, you're trying to explain away the need for God, right? Here's how the, or, the universe functions. Here's the origins of it all. We can explain it all through science. And so a whole, like, generation or two or three kind of got into the spot of being defensive and like, well, science is bad. And so there's generations now coming up that were kind of taught like science and the Bible are at odds. Like science is bad because it doesn't agree with the Bible. And they begin to think, well, I kind of think science is awesome. So like maybe Christianity is bad. And I just want to say that whole dichotomy of science versus God is total nonsense. It really is nonsense. Now, anyone doing scientific work makes assumptions about the whole, how the world works. And there are bad assumptions in that. But Science should be doing what Job, what God's doing to Job in chapters 38, 39, 40, like looking at the world and saying, look at how complex and how amazing this world is. It should be fuel for us to worship God, to get into the spot where we see more and more about God. When we study the world that God made, the works of God, we're in essence studying God and it becomes this theological thing. So anyway, all I'm trying to get at here is God is coming to Job and just saying, Job, Let's reposture here. You, you've, you've come at me trying to explain me. You've come at me um, trying to, like, uh, accuse me of stuff. And I need you to see, like, you cannot explain the way the world works. You cannot explain who I am. And the reason Job and, and any of the rest of us cannot explain God all the way is because we were never meant to. We were never meant to understand God perfectly. We were never meant to be able to explain him perfectly. Despite what my seminary degree says, despite what all the, like, uh, you know, self-proclaimed religious theological gurus say, we cannot understand God fully, and we were never meant to. There's a humility that we have to have, and there's a worship, ultimately, that we have to have. So God's reminding Job, you're not a professor in this. God reminds Job, God, God comes back into it in chapter 40. He's going to remind Job, hey, listen, you're not a defendant uh, either. So this is what he says in verses 1 and 2 of Job chapter 40. The Lord says to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues against God, let him answer it. So Job, you a fault finder, are you going to come and contend with me? Are you going to make a case against me? Are you having a problem with me, Job? Are you sure this is a game that you're going to want to play? Job has reconsidered by this point. And here's his response in verse 3. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Job is beginning to get this sense, right? There's, they're beginning to see in real time Job having an encounter with God and kind of realizing, oh man, I said these things and I just need to shut my mouth, right? I'm talking about the God of the universe who is as powerful as this, who, who is righteous and holy and beautiful and good, and I cannot accuse him of these things. And so Job is beginning to change his posture as the conversation rolls on. God's not quite ready to let him off the hook, um, unfortunately for Job, but good for us because we get some good stuff out of it. So he says uh, this, the Lord answers back in verse 6, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So somehow the storm, the whirlwind, it's all still going, and there's this intensity, and he tells him once again, dress for action like a man, gird up your loins, right? 
I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? And so here we have God like speaking to him and saying like, are, are you like, like in verse 8 there, will you condemn me so that you can be in the right? Like Job, are you so concerned about being right yourself that you're going to look to the God of the universe and saying, well, he must be wrong because certainly it can't be me. Um, God is calling him to this change in position, uh, change in posture to see things differently. Ultimately, what I'm saying is <clears throat> God is calling Job to become a worshiper in the midst of this. Don't explain it. Don't defend yourself. Worship God. That is the only posture we can come to him with. Chapter 42. This is how he calls Job to be a worshiper. <clears throat> All right, I can feel this coming on. I'm going to ask Travis, could you get me a, a cup of water or something? Or, I'm sorry, I'm seeing Travis. Could somebody just get, grab me a cup of water? <laughs> Thank you so much. <clears throat> you guys' faces are really dim out there, just so you know. <clears throat> um, so Job's, uh, God says this to Job in chapter 42. Here's how this whole thing ends. Now, this is Job now responding to God, I guess. Chapter 42, verse 1. Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So here is Job at the conclusion of everything that God says to him. Amazing chapters. And Job is beginning to get it, and he's saying, okay, I was hurting. I was in pain. I, my throat was really dry. Thank you so much. And so I spoke in a way that I shouldn't have to this God who is like only to be worshipped. And so he, Job first comes to these theological re uh, realizations. So he says, I know that you can do all things. I know that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. So he's realizing theological truths about God. You can do everything. I'm like, nothing's going to be denied you. So he's coming to this realization. Job begins to realize things about himself, right? In verse 3 he says like, I uttered what I didn't understand, things that were too wonderful for me that I didn't know. So he's realizing about himself, man, I spoke way out of turn. And I didn't know what I was talking about here. Um, think of how certain, like in the early chapters, Job's friends are so confident, man, in what they said. Their, their, their sermons are really beautiful, like these lectures about God and how the world works. A lot of the things they said were true. Um, but God will say in the verses following this, um, they were wrong. Like what they said about me was wrong. Even though you could find proof texts to show different parts of it were accurate, they miss the whole point. Um, and so Job is in here just realizing like, boy, I was wrong in what I said about God. And finally, Job repents and he repostures himself. So he says in verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job is repenting here. And this is significant. He's not repenting for like sins that he did, right? He's not like saying, God, I... I um, took out my anger on somebody, like I, I committed this sexual sin. No, Job is saying, like, I need, I'm repenting of the thoughts that I had of you that were inaccurate. I, I'm repenting of my posture of trying to explain you, uh, explain you to people or myself, trying to accuse you of something, and I'm repenting of that and realizing I need to come to you and worship. That's the repentance that Job is seeing. He's reposturing his heart. He's changing the whole thing, and the, the, the core of it all is in verse 5. He has an actual encounter with God. I had heard of you, but a hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Like, he spent his life, uh, probably like all of us, uh, hearing about God all the time. 
Think of how much we talk about God. Think of how many sermons you've heard in your life. Think of how many Bible studies you've been to. Think of how many times you've read the Bible and you, you're hearing about God all the time. It's kind of like what we do professionally as Christians is we talk about God all the time. We're in a world that's just filled with hearing about God and there's this danger in the midst of it that we could stay right there and we could never get to where Job is where he says, but now, now my eye sees you. There's an encounter ultimately with God where he comes face to face and he sees God more deeply, more clearly. That's what we need. And I think that, I think that forms a decent definition for what worship is. Worship is not just hearing about God, but encountering God and responding to that encounter with God. I think that ultimately is what worship is. Now, it might be that you have um, a vision. It might be that you hear like a word from the Lord. It might be that as we're like sitting here and we're singing these songs, it may be that God's like warming your heart and you're just like, man, I am singing at the top of my lungs here. Like that could happen. That does happen. That happens to many of your brothers and sisters as we worship here. It also could be something like this. You're sitting here and you're like, man, I'd love to like feel these songs more than I'm feeling them. I'd love to like say this truth with a whole lot of conviction, but like I can't get myself into it. And you might in that moment look around and you see your brothers and sisters that are singing and you're like, wow, these people, I know what some of these people have gone through in their lives and they're sitting here saying, God, you are good. God, you're never going to let me down. If those people can say it, there's a truth and a power in it and that might lead you to have this encounter with God, this invitation to join in. It might be the prayer that you just throw up to God of just like, Lord, I'm lost, I'm feeling separate, I'm feeling distant, but Lord, would you please just draw me in? And maybe that simple prayer is the act of worship, but all of it, all I'm trying to say is, Our default is explaining God, talking about God, and the call in this, and the call throughout the whole Bible is come to the Lord. Like, he wants to be with us. That's the whole message of the Bible is that he wants to be with us. We looked at that over Christmas. God with us is his heart. He comes to us again and again and again. He invites again and again and again. It doesn't matter how many times you refuse, he's continuing to come and continuing to call. So as we think about who God is, And as we prepare ourselves over the next few months to talk about God, I would love for us to just shift that posture, even starting now, shift that posture in our hearts of, if I'm going to approach God, how do I see myself in relation to him? Do I see him as he really is? Do I, would God be happy with the way that I see him? And and what what is that relationship that he's inviting me into? I had this, um, I listened to this podcast this week that a friend sent me. It was Brene Brown, um, uh, who's um, lovely. I don't, I don't know a ton about her, but she's lovely. And um, she's I- interviewing this um, Catholic theologian named Richard Rohr. And um, I've read some of his stuff, not a ton. Um, uh, there's stuff I definitely disagree with. There's some stuff that's really nice to contemplate. <clears throat> My point is in the interview itself. So she sits down, she reads his books, and she's like, wow, there's some stuff I really like here. And so she's jotting down these notes. So that's cool, right? You can get to know a person pretty well by reading books about them or by reading books that they read. So she's getting to know this guy that she's uh, interviewing by reading these books. Then she gets the opportunity to invite him onto her podcast show, and she has a conversation with him. And I think how much further down the line that takes you, right? To go from uh, reading about somebody or reading words by somebody, and now you're having a conversation. Like, that is relational, right? You're getting to know someone so much better. So think about that in the context of our daily life. We hear about God, we think about God, but we get the opportunity to actually have a conversation with God. And it looks different than our conversation. Like, if, if um, you know, uh, conversations with our spouses or whatever would be a little one-sided if it was like our prayer lives. But there's a depth there, and there's an invitation, and there's growth in being able to hear the voice of God in that. 
the conversation is so much deeper, so we're invited to that. The, the other thing that she did in this interview that I thought was so cool was she took the quotes that she had been ri- writing down from this guy, from reading his books, and she began to ask him about those quotes. So, hey, in this book you wrote this. Like, what did you mean by that? Or could you explain that? Could you talk about that some more? And it was this really cool deepening of the conversation because she's taking these things that she'd heard about God, sorry, uh, about this guy that she was talking to, and they had a conversation about it. That is what I, I guess I'm saying. That's what I'd like this series to be like for us. So we come, and we're reading the word of God on our own. We're hearing words. I'm going to tell you a lot of things about God as we move over in the next few, um, few months here. But as I talk about that, as you hear it, as you talk to each other about these things about God, what I would love more than anything else is for you to, like, let your heart be struck by these truths about God and then talk to God about those things. That, that's what our worship songs are. Like, that's our prayer times is talking to God about these things. But our worship songs are laying out for us these profound truths about God. I mean, the, like, any, take the most boring worship song you can imagine and, and just lay that out there. And, um, and there is such profound truth in that. And so we get the opportunity to, to say those things to God. And not just say them, but we sing them. And I, I shared this uh, about a year ago, actually. Jonathan Edwards, um, really, like, precise theologian, um, but he said, he made this argument, like, the reason that God has us sing songs, right, singing his truth to God rather than just speaking them is because God wants to involve our emotions in the whole thing. God, like, the only reason that you sing it rather than just saying it is because God wants you to feel the depth of these truths. He wants you to, and he wants you to do it together so that we feel that together. Like, that's the invitation is for us not to just hear about God, not just tell other people about God, but let's do what we can to just put ourselves in this posture of worshipers where we are listening for the voice of God and um, receptive to the things that God wants to say to us. So I'd love for our worship to be like this spot that Job came to here, hopefully without all the other stuff. Um, For us to come and um, basically I think that many of us are going to need to like lay some things down before we can really study, worship, engage with God in this way. There's things in our lives that we're just holding on to, and that, that could be sin things, like for sure. So if there's like some, some sin issue in your life, and you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that, it could be the drinking, it could be the anger, it could be the sexual stuff, like all that's there, and that may be what you need to lay down so that you can put yourself in this posture of worshiping God and saying, God, I'm setting that aside. I want to focus on you. Like that may be it, and I invite you to do that now as we're like singing these first songs, just like take that time to just lay, lay that out before the Lord. Um, it might be that thing that's just weighing you down. So like Job had this really intense suffering in his life that, that like was putting him in this different posture towards God of accusing God. Like some of you have things a lot like what Job went through. It's someone that you lost, a parent that you lost, a spouse you lost. Some of you have lost kids. Like those are heavy, big things. It could be the way you've been treated. It could be like the ways you feel deficient in life. But all of these things, the invitation is to Lay it down before the Lord and say, okay, God, I want my posture before you to be worshipped. So, Lord, here's all this. I'm acknowledging it. Help me deal with this. Um, But I want to come worshiping you. That's an invitation that I have for us. I want us all to lay down the idea of being able to explain God perfectly. Um, That does not exist. Um, Some of you, honestly, some of you guys are really mean with your doctrinal beliefs. I say that because I used to be that way, and I probably still am on a lot of them, and I just don't know which ones, so you can point them out if you need to. Um, 
but we just, we have this unwarranted certainty about things. There was a seminary, a professor at my seminary that would say, um, if you, if you're only 51% sure about what a passage means, preach it like you're 100% sure, you know? And I just think that's total nonsense, right? God doesn't, God's not waiting for us to figure him out completely so we can be all certain and beating each other up with these truths about God. No, let's learn uh, these things about God. Let's worship him because of it. And let's love the people around us on the basis of these things. That's the invitation. So let go of your need for certainty, perhaps. Let go of, of defending yourself before the Lord. Um, the call is, let's encounter God, have an experience of God, and respond to him accordingly. That's my invitation. So we will. We'll talk through um, the, the, the nature of the Trinity. We'll talk through the church. We'll talk about what salvation looks like. I mean, we'll talk about attributes of God. I, I am so excited week by week to talk through these things with you guys. Um, but let's make sure that as we do, our posture the entire time is just worship. We're worshiping God based on what we're learning about him. So as we worship now, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and uh, they're going to lead us in a, in a few songs. We're going to spend a little more time than we usually do at the end. Um, and so I want to encourage you just to kind of settle into this. And um, I want you to feel free. So some of you, man, if your hands are in your pockets and you're singing, it's like that's how you best pour out your heart to God. That's amazing. Others of you are like, this church doesn't raise their hands enough and I want to do it. Please do. If you're thinking about what anyone else in this room is doing or what they think about what you're doing, then your posture is off and let's reset. And let's get to a spot where we're just free before the Lord to just do what, like if, if it's singing at the top of your lungs, do it. If it's sitting there praying and just begging God to, to be real to you, do that. Um, and, and so I want to challenge us with that right now, and I want to give one more invitation. Um, every week as we walk through this whole thing, I want to encourage you to come um, not waiting for the worship team to lead songs that are good enough to get you feeling like you can worship. I want to challenge you to come every Sunday already worshiping. Your heart's already there. As you're driving over, you're, you're asking the Lord, Lord, uh, help me to see who you are. And so come already ready to worship so that if the worship team has their worst Sunday ever, you still are there um, blowing the roof off with just our praise to the Lord. That's what I'd love to see. And not just on Sundays, but as you gather with your small groups, as you, um, as you meet interpersonally, those kinds of things, I would love to see it happen. Let me, let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts. Lord, thank you so much for, for who you are. Lord, thank you so much that you meet us here in a time like this. And thank you for the reminder this has been to me this week of really just who you are and, and how you want us to relate to you. Lord, I know that there's so much love that you had for Job and so much compassion you had for his suffering. But also, Lord, I, I just, I pray that we would get that reminder to posture ourselves accordingly and to see that you are our God. You're the creator of it all. Lord, you made us. The very breath in our lungs comes from you. Every detail of everything around us is by your design. Lord, may all of that pull our hearts into worship of you. And as we get to know you better, may we worship you more fully. Um, Lord, that's what I pray. Um, be glorified in this time right now. We pray this in Jesus' name.